At the COVID pandemic's seeming height, social media were filled with images and stories of people adopting pets. Individuals who might not have had time for a dog or a cat before lockdown suddenly did. Needing to walk a dog also gave people a reason to leave their homes at regular intervals. For some older adults with dogs, those regular strolls around the neighborhood may have helped to keep them from having increased feelings of loneliness. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Mary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. Our guest today is Dr. Don Carr. Carr is the director of the Claude Pepper Center and an associate professor at Florida State University in the Department of Sociology. Her research focuses on understanding the factors that bolster older adults' ability to remain healthy and active as long as possible. Carr's recent work focuses on understanding the complex pathways between health and active engagement during later life, including resilience, and the impact of key transitions in health, productivity, and caregiving. She's also a co-author of a journal article in Animals that examined the impact of dog walking on the experience of loneliness for older adults during COVID. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. What spurred this study about dog walking and COVID and loneliness? A couple of different things. Um, For a long time, I've been very interested in figuring out different things that could help older people thrive in later life. And loneliness is a factor that has been increasingly important. So there's a lot of media attention because unexpectedly, I think we've become more aware of the fact that loneliness increases our risk of mortality. There was a really famous meta-analysis in 2010 that talked about this linkage between loneliness and mortality relative to other stuff that we know is bad for you. And in that study by uh, Dr. Holt Lundstad, they made the comparison and noted that loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, wow. Um, So this is kind of a famous statistic that people like to kind of throw around to give you kind of an approximate um, understanding of it, the consequences. So loneliness in later life is, is an important thing to look at. And the other thing that's important is that a lot of people think about their health and well-being, but they often think of it in terms of exercise or you know, not drinking too much or, you know, not eating junk food, but actually your social health Mm. is as impactful or more um, impactful on how well, you you know, your life, the quality of your life and and the length of your life is than all these other factors. So I think it's often a neglected area of, of study. And it's been something I've been very interested in learning more about for a long time. So I'd like to just follow up a little bit in terms of, you know, unpacking some of the components of, of the work that, that you were doing. I mean, you know, so how, how, is, how do you define loneliness? You know, how do you measure loneliness? I mean, we all have sort of this, this yeah. kind of individual understanding of it. But as you start to study it in a formal way, you have to, to, to kind of get some kind of standardized definition, I would assume. So Absolutely. how is that defined? Yeah, there are different ways of measuring loneliness. You can ask a person, how lonely do you feel? And then there's different survey instruments that we use. And I do research with surveys primarily. The most 
commonly used index is something called the UCLA Loneliness Index. That's what I tend to use. And there's different multi-items that you can draw from. This particular paper that you're talking about used a three-item measure. So it's, it's not a lot of items, but it has really great validity. But basically, what people ask is, are, are you getting the social connectedness with others that you need to feel good? I mean, that's kind of an oversimplification, okay. but this is individualized. So you might be they often say you're you can be lonely because you're not engaging enough with other people, but some people are quite isolated and don't feel lonely. They feel fine. Others are in a crowd and feel completely lonely, right? You can be constantly mm-hmm. surrounded by pe- people. So it's it's related to your sense of connection with with other people typically. So it's hard to sort of grasp in some ways, but at the same time, if you ask a person do you feel lonely? They're they're reflecting on that connection that they have with other people. And do they feel like they matter and they're part of kind of a social group? So why dog walking? What made that be the thing that you and your co-authors decided, like, we are going to explore this? So I actually had a um, some previous work that I did that was funded by the Waltham Institute and the Gerontological Society of America with a colleague um, who's on this paper, Natalie Sachs Erickson. And um, she had a background uh, studying the benefits of pet therapy. As She's a clinical psychologist and was really interested in seeing how pets could be supportive to people with various psychological challenges. Um, and she liked my work on loneliness and had heard me um, I was a new professor at the time, and uh, I'd given a talk on, on loneliness and widowhood, and she said, I have an idea. Why don't we put our, our, our uh, research interests together and, and do the study? And so in that earlier study that, that we, we got a grant for, we were looking at whether just having a pet was beneficial. Oh, the okay. challenges of studying that are really interesting because the kind of people who get a dog are not the same as the people who don't. And that may or may not be related to whether it's it's good for you, right? Yeah. So, so parsing that out is really complicated. And so we were among the first people in that study to say, what if you control for the selection into being a person who gets a dog versus one who selectively chooses not to and, and be able to differentiate the health benefits that come from that? So we were able to do that. And this was kind of a, an additional study. We're like, well, what about dog walking? Mm-hmm. And especially during the pandemic, it, I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, people were like, I'm home. I got to get out yeah. of the house. Oh, my gosh. And I, I and walking became something I had never done that much of. But suddenly I was walking every day and it was such a relief to get out of the house. Yeah. My neighborhood was filled with people like we never see each other. You know, and now that it's sort of moving towards like normal pre-pandemic, it's sort of quiet again. But there were like six months where there were people constantly walking around the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that came to mind. And almost everyone we saw was walking their dog. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you don't know, is it the walking that's good for you? Or is it the fact that it's a dog? We, we you know, of course, we can't know that for certain. But in this study, we actually did test like just exercise, and this was not a factor. Mm-hmm. Loneliness wasn't affected by just exercise. It seemed to be something special about the dog. Mm-hmm. So we were curious about that because I don't know if you have a dog. I have a dog. If I go out and I walk my dog, I have a cute dog. I think he's very cute. <laughs> and uh, I, I take a walk with him, and people, oh, what's your dog's name? And there's this human connection mm. that a 
that emerges. It's an and icebreaker. It is. Yeah, people love to talk about their pets, yeah. but but you don't walk a cat typically. Right. Yeah. You know. So it's a it's a way of sort of creating connection in a safe environment during COVID. We couldn't hang out together and mm. and you might actually meet strangers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and maybe yeah. maybe strangers could be helpful for loneliness, maybe not. But I think in this particular time, we didn't have those regular get-togethers with with yeah. loved ones, with with friends. And this might have been like just what you needed to fill up your social needs uh, for the day, and and just sort of feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we hypothesized. Oh, okay, you know, it's it, it's funny because I when I was working at home. I was taking my dog out frequently to for walks when there were breaks, and, it was, and finally the dog was sort of looking at me like, "Dude, I don't want to go for another <laughs> walk." You know, it's like, "Yeah, you, how about I'll stay here and you go out?" You know, it, was, it got to the point. Yeah, she was done. You know, but that's, <laughs> she was like, "I'm done with I'm you." I'm done with you, pal. Yeah, that's it. but but it's 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 interesting, and I th- I think this this the, the the phrase you used was sort of disentangling, unpacking kind of these effects because you know, there's this t- to me when I think about this is I think about well, there's the walking part of it. But there's also the pet ownership part. I mean, it may be that just even if you're not able to walk a dog or you're not inclined to walk a dog, by having it as this companion animal, there's that there's a benefit there in terms of the loneliness effect. And Absolutely. then there's the walking dog beyond that. So it's it's it seems like there's really it's there's a lot of complexity. Now, one of the things in your paper that you described was you had a a model, sort of sort of a theoretical model mm-hmm. that talked about, you know, how you thought loneliness might respond to this activity. Can, can you talk a little bit about what was sort of the, the, the theoretical grounding of, of a project like this? And then we right. can talk a little bit maybe about the data that was, was obtained yeah. in the analysis. Yeah, sure. So um, some of my co-authors also are really quite well-known. They're, they're some of the most famous in this, this area uh, in, in terms of research on, on pets and a lot in different forms of pet therapy. Nancy G., who is an author here, actually runs this really famous pet therapy program at a hospital in Virginia. Um, she's doing some really interesting work. And, and it was a really good group of colleagues who'd had mm-hmm. these, this sort of deep knowledge and understanding. And Erica Friedman as well is really well known for, for her work, kind of parsing out these effects. Anyway, so what they have found with their work and then what Natalie and I had found with ours, and, and we have other colleagues here too, but I was just going to point out theirs. They have done quite a bit of research showing that pets decrease stress response. Mm. So we were using a biopsychosocial model, which is a common one to use in this type of research. And the idea being that there's biological factors at play, which are these sort of stress responses. You know, you think about cortisol in your system, things like that. And that the psychological effects are related to how you're sort of feeling and how it, in kind of the world you're in, and then the um, social environment affects all of this. So we're saying all these things kind of come together and that would sort of explain how pets could be beneficial. And and you can't, you know, we don't, we didn't take uh, blood samples to see if the pets were stressed and, right. if the, you know, the, the people walk it. So we didn't look at all of that, but based on previous research, there's a good bit of research that shows really simple engagements with pets decrease your stress levels in the moment, and they've been really beneficial. So there's a couple of kind of factors there. You feel calm. You know, you think about petting, petting your 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 companion animal, cat, dog. Um, it, it, it has a soothing sort of response. Mm-hmm. Now, walking isn't the same. We're not talking about that, yeah. but just owning the pet has this built-in connection, like this is this thing that I deeply care about that relies on me to survive. And mm. and it 
I, I have to take care of it and, and it needs me. And that sense of mattering is also a big piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. I think that's how we build connections. So, so we thought the pet, normally you have these things with people, but actually you can do it with the pet too. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Florida State University's Don Carr. So you've, you've, you've kind of given us this, this kind of the, how things were defined, a little bit about the loneliness scale. You've talked a little bit about kind of the, the theoretical model that, that was linking this activity mm-hmm. to a reduction of stress with then some positive health outcomes anticipated, sort of down, downstream. Mm-hmm. So, so what, tell us a little bit more about what kind of data did you collect Mm-hmm. And then as you analyzed it, what kind of, what did you observe? So we actually have a longitudinal study, my colleague Natalie and I, and this is based on that longitudinal study. So in 2018, we started this study. We were interested in understanding how your emotional reaction, we call emotion regulation and resiliency factors, affect well-being. And so we started this longitudinal study of adults living in the Tallahassee area. And we actually published a number of articles on different aspects of older adults, including and surrounding the the pandemic, because we we had this amazing accidental situation where we had this panel data set that we'd already planned to follow up with. And sure enough, the timing was great, and we were able to follow up with them three months into the pandemic and then again six months. Um, so we have these data kind of in these early phases. And, and I think there's growing evidence that those first three months were different kind of stressful than mm, yeah. kind of the settling in we had at six months. And so we're now int- planning to do a, another follow-up to see how are we sort of recovering in this post, I guess, post-pandemic phase. Is that where we are? <laughs> Who um, knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I think we're in the pre-monkeypox phase. Oh, right? yeah. This yeah, may yeah. be true. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but but we were really interested in just trying to identify what factors mattered and who fared better and who fared worse. And so we, we tried to figure out how stressed they were, how kind of difficult life was for them. And so in this paper, we actually relied on one particular question that we were, we were really interested in related to loneliness is how much did the pandemic influence your social connectedness mm-hmm. with others? And so what we looked at is the people who said, yeah, my, my sense of social connection with others is, was significant, um, or, or the decline in that was significant. So in other words, I'm not getting the social connectedness with others that I need. And so we were, these are vulnerable people, right? Yeah. Your, your, your risk of loneliness goes up if you feel like you've lost your connection sure. to the people you're engaged with. And those were the ones... And you talk about the news media, about how bad the pandemic is for older people. That's who we were worried about. They're Mm, stuck in a house mm. by themselves. They don't have those few social connections. I mean, going to the grocery store. I mean, gosh, did you forget how fun it was to say hi to that one, you know, person at the grocery store? And you're like, oh, I missed you. You know, you didn't remember how important these smaller engagements were. So this captured kind of broadly your your sense. So we were interested in them and, and their vulnerability, and that's who we focused on. That's really neat. I, you know, so you're studying this Tallahassee cohort, 
mm-hmm. of individuals. So that so now, it, do do you think that that you know, are others going to replicate this in other pl- parts of the country, or has this been done in other parts of the world? I'm just it's always an yeah. interesting question about you know is there this this sort of uniqueness Unique. to the mm-hmm. community that you're that's under study and its generalizability beyond. So what Absolutely. do you think? Absolutely, I think it it very well could be replicated. Um, but I think that that's obviously a great question. There have been some studies on pets, but they often haven't been robust nor longitudinal. And by mm. robust, I mean oftentimes they're focused on a much smaller sample of people mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or or really they're just it's a single time point. I'm just going to see who's doing well. And so all you see that's is those associations. Right. So we have this unusual opportunity in this case to be able to look at changes in association with a very stressful situation. And so, you know, we in, in aging, this is like, you talk about the Great Depression and, and 9-11 and these big, big things like, we will never forget the pandemic and remember how it affected us. Yeah. But it affected us differently depending on our age and life situation. And in this case, this was a very specific experience for older people that was different from people who are much younger. They're much less likely to be going to work or working from home or engaging. You know, they're, they don't have those structural connected mm-hmm. connections with others that help them, yeah, I guess sort of stay in sort of a everyday pattern. Um, and that... That's different and interesting. So I think if people were to replicate it, you know, these are really important contextual things that might need to be considered. So it might be the case that walking a dog doesn't actually help me because I've got kids at home and I actually don't have a terribly difficult life, right? But maybe when you're facing really big challenges, that's when it's really clear yeah. That that these things matter. I was, I was say I wanted to zoom out a little bit away from your study because there was something in the study, and you had mentioned that there's been a lot of coverage about this increase in experiences of loneliness. And I sort of wanted just to pull out a little bit and sort of ask, when we talk about this increase that Americans have reported feeling of feeling lonely, I wonder if do we have a good idea of sort of what might be is motivating that, or do we just have a better way of measuring and understanding that? Like, do we have a good handle on on what this increase is actually being spurred by? Yeah, so it sounds to me like you're questioning, is it a real increase um, or is it um, like we're able to measure it better and think that's part of it? We do actually measure these things differently. And there are some really big figures who are talking about it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so there was, um, there were a couple of psychologists who were kind of the loneliness experts. I mean, I... I guess I'm doing some of that um, now, but they were placed a lot of um, emphasis on measurement and making sure we're capturing it accurately. And I think they did that for a long time, but it wasn't in the mainstream. I don't think people took it that seriously until we started saying, oh my gosh, this is actually a really important health kind of mm. measure, you know? Mm. And I think it's easy to say, can you go up and down the stairs? Can you feed yourself? I think those are big disabilities. You can't see loneliness. Right. You can't mm. observe it necessarily. Mm. So it's harder, I think, to, to sort of study it. You have to study it in context and by talking to people. And, and the only way to do that is to ask them how they're feeling. And so I think for a long time, people didn't trust that mm-hmm. in the same way, right? And so I think now we're more aware of, like, that's valid. But in terms of the increase overall, there's very clear evidence that in, that loneliness is getting worse. And it's actually not a lot worse for older people compared to previous mm. cohorts. They're not getting more lonely than previous cohorts of older people. 
it's the younger people oh. and the middle-aged people. So maybe as they get older, that'll change. But mm. but there's a lot of speculation that it's related to how we're communicating. And, you know, like we're sitting together having a conversation. That's That gives you a, a connection and a, a yeah, feeling of yeah. being in the moment that's quite different than a, getting a text message saying, how's your day? Not that those aren't important, but it might be not enough uh, to help you to, you know, have that cumulative lack of connection that leads to the feelings of loneliness. Yeah, I, I know I was very excited about the prospect of us being back in the studio and, and yeah. you know, yeah. working, you know, we've been doing some of this in Zoom. And so, of course, yeah. everyone's and been doing things And it's better than nothing. Yeah. It, it, right, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think your point is well taken, that, that there is, it's an approximation to, to mm -hmm. kind of where you'd want to go or, or what was more impactful in terms of our experience. Yeah, and I do think, like, it's sort of like, I don't know what the right analogy is, but, like, if you're filling up your glass of water and you pretend the water is your, like, you know, feeling full, um, your gas tank is sort of full in terms of feeling connected. Little bits maybe help with these, in you know, online engagements. Yeah, yeah. But like when you have a coffee with a friend, it's a bigger fill up, right? right? And I think younger people are much more inclined to not have those in-person experiences. Mm -hmm. They really relate. And so did, maybe it's just not enough. So I, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be doing more work on this. But my colleagues, um, I have some colleagues who do a lot of tech and aging kind of research at, at um, Florida State, uh, Wally Boot and, and Neil Charnas. And we've had many discussions about this because they've been trying to figure out, can we create virtual worlds where we can connect and help offset mm, loneliness? Mm. Um, and, and there's a lot of efforts to figure that out. And I, I think there's actually a lot of novelty and exciting stuff developing that we might find a way to do it better, mm -hmm. but I think for now we're not quite there. I, I was, you know, you you made the the comment about things like these activities of daily living, mm -hmm. and and you know those are, you, know, you mentioned some examples of it, and those are all easy because you can observe it. You know, yeah. either you can take your shower or you can't. You know, there's sort yeah. of these 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 things that you can do, mm -hmm. and and uh, I'm I just was finding myself thinking, gee, I wonder if there's this there could be kind of this same social activities of daily living. Yeah, the saddle. I mean, yeah. Hey, I've just I just I'm gonna stake my <laughs> you know, you stake my claim like now to the saddle, but but you know this idea of of you know there's there's I would think there's this gradient of kind of of social impact. And, yeah. and I, I think that what's, what's interesting to me is as, as you were looking at your analysis, you're thinking about a trajectory mm -hmm. of kind of this almost this trajectory towards loneliness or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. And, and this, this modification of that trajectory based upon some activities. Yeah. And here it was dog walking, but it could be, you know, one could well imagine others. So mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just trying to picture this new saddle scale, this idea of the social yeah. dimension of daily living activities. And so do you have any thought of what else might be in there other than loneliness? If you were going to have this sort of social dimension of yeah, so so like loneliness would be the the low end, and and there might be other dimensions of of well being or something like that, or or types of actual activities that you might engage in. Um, mm. You know, I think that this is a really interesting point. So if we were to measure. Well, it's worth noting some people measure this stuff in this very objective way, more observable way, which is how many times in the last week have yeah. you had a, a any kind of interaction with another person? And this is considered a measurement of social isolation versus social integration. Okay. And that's more 
objective and they okay. do see those connections. Loneliness is related, but but distinct from that because it's the emotional component of that. So I like this idea that you have. Um, I think it'd be messier, right? That's yeah, the challenge yeah, yeah. of <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out, is it about how often you connect yeah. or, you know, and, and the variations with with other people. But I personally think a big piece of the puzzle is about sense of meaning and purpose. Mm. And so as much as that's not actually directly a social activity, I think it's related to your social world. And so if you are engaging activities where you feel like what you're doing and who you're with matters to the world, this kind of a kind of bigger picture, I think you feel better. And so it may not be how often you're talking to a person. It might be, am I engaging in activities that matter to other people, oh. right? It's a little bit different. And I think this is why people often think about um, if you have a bad job, you're in a job that just you don't feel like your job matters. You don't feel like you're impacting the world in a positive way. It's terrible for your mental health. So I think there's a lot of dimensions that are, you know, we probably need to piece, kind of parse out um, from this issue. But I like the direction you're going very much. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here for first, folks. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Pleasure. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcast, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.